I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Corey. Alright, if you're in the front row, you might not be able to see me, but... Um, <laughs> I'm Corey, and I'm a compulsive eater. Um, I'm nervous, and uh, I, I learned from a sponsor a long time ago. I remember calling a sponsor saying... Um, I'm speaking at a meeting, and I'm nervous, and I don't know what to say. And she said, say you're nervous. And maybe if you acknowledge where you are, then um, you'll let God speak through you. And then I had another sponsor who said, it's your story. You can't fuck it up. So um, between those two things, I think I'll be okay. I, uh, let me pass around some pictures. I, um, I was not a heavy kid. You won't see that in these pictures. But the reason I include kid pictures is because I... Um, there's a light that came on in my eyes um, a fair way into program, and you'll see that here, that I, didn't, that I don't have pictures of ever having when I was a kid. Like, I just looked, I just always looked sad. And I remember, it's not funny, but when I was a kid, people always would think that I was lost, just because I was just so, I just was a sad little kid that just looked like I was always in the wrong place. So, these are my pictures. Um... I've been in program, uh, 19, I think 19, August was 19 years since my first meeting. Um, I didn't get here because I thought I should be here. Um, I got here, my first program was Al-Anon, and I came because my sister said that she was going to go to a meeting and would I go with her. And um, I just think it's funny that I came to Al-Anon with someone else, you know, <laughs> for them. I mean, I suppose everyone goes to Al-Anon for someone else, but... Um, quite literally, and, uh, and I'm really glad, because if I had gone for me, I would have had so much time to have judgments in the car on the way there that it wasn't going to work, that um, I never would have stayed. I would have, you know, whatever. And then nine months after that, I got to OA, and um, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't have come to OA. I was probably at the time about 20 pounds heavier than I am now, which is, when you're four foot something, um, that's a lot, but, it, you know, it was... It, it wasn't like someone said, oh, my God, she's morbidly obese. I, I fit in the general population weight-wise. But I was killing myself with food. And um, medically, I'm a diabetic, and I just was, I was killing myself with food. I had no idea what my blood sugars were. Um, I had already experienced some complications as a diabetic because I was diagnosed at the age of nine and, um, and was a compulsive overeater probably since that time, if not before. Um, and I, um, so the way I got here was I was living in a really little town. And if you've heard me speak before, you've probably heard this story. But um, I was living in a really little town, and there were two meetings a week. And if you went to both meetings, then they assumed that you were having a really hard week. And, and people would, people, I, I just remember at one meeting that I went to, it was the second meeting that week, so it must have been a hard week. And someone said, boy, rough week, huh? And I was too self-obsessed to think that if he saw me at the second meeting, he probably was also at the first meeting. <laughs> I, I just um, thought, oh, my God, someone noticed that I went to both meetings. And, you know, like as if that were bad. And here, that's my minimum, really, two, two OA meetings a week and then um, other programs as I can catch them. But I got here because I happened upon, and there were only two meetings a week, but I happened upon... A woman that I met in my racquetball class, I was in college at the time, and um, she was in the other program and then also came here, and she didn't look like what I thought you needed to look like in order to be here. Like, I had an image of what 
somebody who, I didn't even know the term compulsive overeater, but someone who would go to OA, my image was that it was someone like, if you ever see movies where the ladies of Weight Watchers is sort of comedically referred to, and it's like, I, I don't even know what the archetype is, but women knitting who are bakers and, you know, they lick the pan or like whatever the deal is. Um, that's what I thought OA would be. And I was living in a college town, and I didn't think about the fact that the population of the town probably was represented in the meetings. But um, So after a few times of mentioning to her that I was uncomfortable with my eating and probably telling her specifics um, and saying, are you sure that I'll fit in there, um, I went to a meeting with her because she reminded me that you can go and then you don't ever have to go back. We're, contrary to what some people think when they come here, we're not a cult. Everything, everything that is read on the wall right there of the steps are all suggestions. You don't have to do them. My experience is that um, as I've done them, my life has definitely gotten better, so I recommend them. But they're just recommendations, just suggestions. So anyway, so I came to OA. Um, and again, I wouldn't have come here on my own because I would have decided, like it says in the big book, Content Prior to Investigation, I would have decided that I didn't fit here. Um, so I wouldn't have even tried it and um, I came because she uh, and I had a lot in common and I came and from the moment I, I walked into OA like in and I've tried a few other programs um, I fit in here a lot of my friends I mean I've been in program for so long and I've been back in LA since 1990 so a lot of my social circle is from OA and it's not that we get together and talk about OA it's that I've met kindred spirits here and um a lot of my people are, you know, that's just the deal. So um, I, uh, I didn't believe in God. I wasn't raised with a, a sense of God. I, um, I was raised Jewish, and I love things about being Jewish. I'm not, it's not a religious statement. But um, I was raised, um, I don't even know if we would say that we were agnostic, or I think I was a pretty much a card-carrying atheist, or so I thought. And... Um, I loved when those people would come to my door and try and convince me because I just thought I, I would just go toe-to-toe with those people. And um, and at one point I was a Scientologist, so they would love it because they'd come and talk to me about their religion. And I'd say, I'm a Jewish Scientologist. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> um, and, and that just made them more pissed off. But <laughs> so they'd straighten their tie and go, but our way's the way, you know, whatever. It was, it was what it was. Um, and, and I was arrogant, you know. I, um, so I didn't come in with a sense of God, and I think it took me a long time to really find a spiritual connection that I sometimes call God. That's really kind of a shorthand, but um, spirituality for me is bigger than that. But um, I remember I had a sponsor for many years who was very, very, very spiritual, which is why I asked her to sponsor me. And I remember calling her one day and saying, I, I, you know, whatever, I want this thing, whatever the thing du jour was, and um, some job or whatever, and, and I said, so I'm going to pray that God be with me. And she said, honey, God is always with you. Pray to remember that God is with you. Um, and it was, I think, at that point that I understood that I had really internalized that there's something bigger than me. Um, I didn't, I don't know what I believed about that growing up, but I... Um, I mean, it's arrogant to say I really thought that I was really the most powerful thing in my universe, and it wasn't like I thought, I wasn't one of those people that boasted, you know, whatever, I wasn't a big personality, I wasn't, I didn't walk into a room and overwhelm the room with my energy, but I, um, 
but I really did think that I had to hold it all together. And I thought I had to hold everyone all together, or I just wasn't going to survive. And um, when I first came into program and people were talking about ego or addicts being selfish and self-centered, I took offense to that because it seemed so punitive. And what I've come to see over time is I really am quite self-centered when I'm in my disease. And it's not that I need to beat myself for that, but it's that I need to really look at when I'm really self-centered and I'm really worried about I'm going to lose something that I have or I'm not going to get something that I want, what is it in me that just feels like, you know, just feels lost? And um, I've had to find a gentle way to say that I'm selfish and self-centered. That's not funny, but anyway. Um, so over the years in program, I definitely developed a sense of spirituality. Um, I'm sort of going off the cuff here. I have nothing planned other than the fact that I practice this in the shower every day since Harriet asked me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, you know, but I really just pray to be open and you know, non-rehearsed. Um, so I really am just sort of going with what comes up. I am. Um, I, I when I was new in Los Angeles. Um, in 1990, like I said, and I was in program for about two years, I, I did everything possible. Like, the LA Intergroup had retreats every year, and I'd go to Camp S. Kramer and do the retreats, and the um, San Gabriel Valley had um, Catalina retreats every year, so for $100, it would cover the whole weekend of food and transportation, and so for $100, I'd go away with it, and I just, I did everything possible, and I remember at quite a few of the retreats, they said, um, we did exercises, and one of them was write a one ad for God. Write what you want God to be. And, um, and I wrote it, you know, to the best of my ability at the time, what I thought a loving higher power would be, and um, defined it, and then, you know, put it in my God box. And um, at some point about maybe seven years ago, I, after having a very strong connection with that higher power, whatever that was, and really feeling most of the time just a sense of peace. Or there's a line in the big book that talks about when calamity meets serenity. And really just having that, although my life was pretty smooth sailing, so it was easier. But um, I, um, I hit a point where I just didn't feel God. And that was really hard for me because I had felt it. I had felt spirituality. I had felt a sense of just being okay after coming from a whole lifetime of feeling like nothing ever was going to be okay, looking out the window. Like, I, I really was the kid that I didn't have a lot of friends growing up, and I just looked out the window at the other kids thinking their homes must be normal or they must feel okay inside or something. And um, I, um, and then I found that here, that sense of I, I just am okay the way I am, flaws and all. And then I, and I lost that sense of, spirituality at some point about six or seven years ago and it was really devastating for me because I I knew what it felt like to feel spiritually connected and then in that moment I knew and in that time I, I didn't feel it and I felt so lost and I felt like I missed myself like there I was but I just missed myself and um, I called my sponsor at the time and I told her this story and she said what do you? What's your concept of God? And I told her about this one ad that I had done many, many years ago, and she said, you know, that one ad maybe fit you when you were a few years in the program. That, you know, all, all I need from God is just love me all the time and let me know that I'm always being held. I mean, that's a lot. But um, she said, is it possible that your definition of God now is limiting you? That when you try and define it with your human constructs, that um, that you're limiting really what God could be for you. And, and I, 
it was an epiphany to me that now sometimes when people talk about defining God, I think, how do I not define God and just let spirit into my life the way that um, needs to happen? And um, so anyway, for, for whatever that means, um, my sense of spirituality is really different. And it's really different than growing up. And I grew up in temple and had a bat mitzvah and made money and, you know, um, and my, the, the, I was thinking about this this week that um, the money that I made for my bat mitzvah opened up my first mutual fund, which grew and helped me just buy the condo that I bought four months ago. So, thank you. Yeah, that's my sister. Um, she heard my anxiety calls. Um, so, yeah, so that's my sense of God. I, um, I, I had this dream when when I when I was out there and also for many years in program, there's a picture in there that you'll see of me kind of off on the side and I'm singing and that's in one of the OA birthday party shows. And I had this dream once. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie Sister Act, but there's like a really little nun who's so quiet and then she belts out this song and it's like, you know, this... And, and I had this dream of... Um, and, and I don't sing like she sings, but I, you know, I sing, all right? And... Um, of, of being like the quiet one in the back and all of a sudden someone starts playing the piano and I get up and I sing and people are like, oh my God, we had no idea that she, whatever, you know, that she could sing that way or that she could look at that beautiful personality. And um, what I was thinking about this week is that that was my goal, to walk into a room and be um, magnetic. And what I found is that... Um, I don't know that I, I still don't walk into a room and, like, have everyone turn their heads. It's just not who I am for whatever reason. But I do, um, I did used to be a shy, quiet kid, adolescent, you know, young adult. And now I do have a lot of admiration in my world. And, and it doesn't mean what I thought it would mean when I, once I got it. But there is something really nice about having all of my relationships I'm thinking if I can say all. Yeah, I think I can say all. All of my relationships be so authentic that there's mutual respect in all of them and that I'm respected in the world. And it doesn't carry the ego with it that it did when I thought that that would, once I got that, I will have arrived, you know. Um, but it's nice to be able to say that. It's really nice to be able to say that. Um, and I also, I, I, um, I had this philosophy that you could get, that the goal was spirituality, because I, I was always, once I started getting interested in spirituality, I was interested in, like, Eastern thought and stuff that was bigger than, like, the Jude- Jewish religion that believed certain closed things, and I, um, oh, God, I just totally lost my train of thought. Religion, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, 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 that's what lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> Which is good. I, I'm empty and nothing, like they tell you. Um, <laughs> where was I going with that? Um, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, so we'll, maybe it'll come back. But um, when I lived in Humboldt County, the little town with two meetings a week, um, the meetings were small. There wasn't a lot of recovery. But I had a couple of really, really good friends, one of whom was my sponsor, who um, there wasn't a lot of abstinence there, like a lot of time in terms of, but there was a lot of time in terms of time and program, and she, this woman had worked the steps in AA, and I asked her if she would take me through the steps, and in the beginning, I, um, I knew that there was something about the steps, 
I didn't quite know what it was, and I certainly wasn't going to admit that I was powerless, because remember, I have to be powerful and keep it all together. And um, But she, I asked her if she would take me through the steps, and, um, and she took me through all of them until the fourth step, and I started writing it and hit an emotional bottom and stopped writing it and then didn't finish one probably until my fourth or fifth year in program. But um, it, it was as it was meant to be, I'm sure. And I got a lot of freedom and in some ways wish I could have had that sooner, but it really was meant to be. And um, the, the women that I hung out with in Humboldt County, had um, they had very clearly defined definitions of God. And I remember we went somewhere once to this spiritual bookstore and they bought pictures of goddess figures and hung them up on the wall and this was their higher power. And um, like I was saying about not defining God, I don't know that I have a picture anymore. And I think what's been lifted is the craving to have a picture of what God must look like, which I think was really the craving to have a parent hold me in some way. I don't know. I mean, that's bordering into psychology. But that was um, that was what it was. And um, when when I first came in, I didn't... It wasn't that I really didn't like the concept of admitting that I was powerless. I just didn't understand it. And I thought it meant that I was helpless. And in my family... Um, it wasn't good to be helpless. It was um, weak and stupid, and there were a lot of judgments about that, as well as a lot of judgments about people who believed in God. Um, and I, um, interestingly, the sponsor that I worked with, we went down to the beach um, one day, and we were reading from this book that she had, and I have no idea what book it is, and I probably could find her if I Googled her, but I don't know where she is. And... Um, the, the, and it wasn't, I don't think it was program approved, but we read about step one in this book. It was thick and green, that's all I know. And um, it sounds like snot, but it was, it was a book. Um, and it, it talked about the difference between helplessness and powerlessness. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> they're inside my head. Get out. Um, but I'm not crazy, really. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and it was exactly what I needed to hear. And we worked the first three steps on the beach that day. And um, I, I didn't understand. I suppose you can't when you're new, really, um, or like your first week of program, um, even though I thought I had figured it all out. But um, I couldn't have possibly have understood the power of doing steps one, two, and three all the time. Um, so I thought you work them, and then once you're done, then you put them away. And then once you get to 12, then you graduate. And... Um, Thank God that's not been my experience. Um, but so we read from the first three steps. Then we went back to her apartment, and she asked me if I wanted to get down on my knees and hold her hands um, and uh, say the third step prayer. And um, I thought that was the weirdest thing I had ever experienced, to hold someone else's hands and pray. We didn't do that. Like, we Jews didn't do that. We um <laughs> Well, I don't know. We we danced when we held hands and like danced around the room, but I don't think we ever held hands and prayed. And um, and we didn't get down on our knees. We raised up to God, and it just was like there. I just had all these things, and um, but I did it. And at the end of working those or talking about those steps, um, I suppose you could say working them. And then every time I've worked them, they've been different. But um, she said, uh, she said, how do you feel? And I said, how do you know when you're done? And she said, well, do you feel like you're powerless over food? And, um, and I said, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I was thinking inside, no, I just am not. I'm so different than you. And, um, and she said, do you feel like your life is unmanageable? And, and I, my life was so unmanageable, but there was something about admitting that that I thought would make it more real, and I couldn't tolerate that. So 
But I said yes because I, my fear was that if I didn't um, do everything that she said. Now remember, I have a Scientology background, so whatever you think about that. But I come from places where if you don't do what they say, then you're out or whatever, or you're in deeper, whatever the deal is. And um, so I said a lot of things. And then she asked me about God. Do you believe in God? Can you make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of this thing and um, and I said yes to all that and inside I was just thinking let's just let me get beyond these steps write the shit I gotta write and get out of here <laughs> because I don't believe this stuff but um, and I um, I really thought that she would throw me away if I didn't believe those things um, and what I now know is that um, I've heard people speak at birthday parties who don't believe in God they believe in other things I suppose the force of nature or going to the beach and trying to stop the waves and getting that there's something bigger than them but they don't believe in something that they call God and they get to stay and they get to speak at birthday parties and they get recorded and people buy the whole set you know it's like I don't know what I was thinking but I didn't have that experience so um, and ultimately I've worked all 12 steps um, and I'm working them again right now and um, I've been doing a nightly 10 step almost nightly or sometimes I do it in the morning to the day before and um I've never, ever been willing to do that, but I've been doing that for the past few weeks, and um, I'm learning a lot about myself. And one of the things that my sponsor has me doing at the end of my 10th step is a letter to God, and then a letter from God to me. And I've noticed how, I can really tell how my day is, because sometimes my letter to God is, Dear God, thank you. Dear Corey, you're welcome. And some days it's like, Dear God, I am powerless over that tray of whatever in the kitchen, and my father called me today, and I'm going to kill him, so you need to, you know what I mean, not really, but it's like, God, I hope he doesn't hear this, that would really suck, but, um, you, know, what I, you know what I mean, like there's like this Dear God letter that's like this, and um, someone recently shared in a meeting, I, I think I was, must have been a little wired as I was pitching in a meeting, and um, she came up afterwards, and she shared with me this prayer, she said, be still and know that I am God. And then what you do is you repeat that, but you keep on taking off a word at the end. So be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that. Be still. Be. And, and, I, and lately my letter back from God is be still and know that I am God. No matter what I write, it's like, how can you argue with that? <laughs> Just be still and know that I am God. Um, or goddess or whatever that is. That's Like I said, that's shorthand for me. Um, I, uh, when I came into program, I had so much anger. Um, this is a quick topic change, but I glanced at my notes. Um, I, I had so much anger, and I come from a family of ragers, um, really destructive ragers. And, and this is probably not you know, uncommon, and I'm, I know it's not because I've heard people share this, but the shorthand is that I would wait until my father got home to find out what kind of night I was going to have because he was a rager, and if he had had a hard night at the office it would have been a hard night at home for all of us. And if he had a good day at the office, it would have been a good day. And I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but um, when I got into program, I started to inventory some of my childhood. I realized that that's what... I, I lived under so much anxiety, and when my father got home, the anxiety would either go away because he would be laughing, so we would be laughing. Um, and I had so much anger when I came in, but I didn't... I, I knew what rage was, and I thought that that was anger, because my dad would say, when I would say, I finally got strong enough to confront him and say, you can't yell at me, and he would say, do I not have a right to have my anger? And he'd have his anger all over the house, you know, and um, 
And, and when I had so much anger, I was so ashamed of being so angry because I thought that it looked like what my father did. And um, the irony was that the more I tried to suppress my anger, the more it came out sideways. And I did to people what my father did. Only he did it loud and big. And um, I was sharing in a meeting this morning that I would stab you in the back without you knowing it. So you couldn't figure out that it was me. You know, I mean, like, not literally stab you, but it was no less pretty than what my father did. and um, Or no more pretty than what my father did or whatever. But um, I just was really ashamed of my anger. And over the years as I've worked inventories and as I've done things in outside help, and um, I've begun to understand my anger and I've begun what I've had to learn to do which is really hard is um, when I feel angry because somebody's done something that I feel like they've stepped on my toes I've had to learn to tell them in a way that doesn't blast them for my reaction but also is really clear about what it is that's not okay with me that they did like you stepped on my foot it made me angry I'd like you not to step on my foot anymore and um in a really weird way, I don't know where, where I got off on this tangent, but in a really weird way, um, that's deep in my program. It's deep in my ability to have connections. It's deep in my ability to know where I am in most moments because I don't have to run away from my anger anymore. Um, I don't know. That was like a, that's an island and everything else that I was sharing, but it's important. It's a really important part of my story. Um, I don't talk a lot about food when I share, but I suppose I should because I've got a lot of time. Um, when I first came in, I heard the word abstinence. We didn't have food plan yet. The tool was called abstinence, and um, really not the same thing. It just was semantics. But um, I, I heard in the little town that I lived in, there wasn't a lot of. I mean, there was probably five meeting, five people per meeting twice a week. Um, so people did different things, but. Um, I had the image that if you're going to be abstinent, um, like I knew about sobriety, and that's black and white, right, because you know if you're sober or you're not. And I had this image of abstinence, and my sponsor said, set up what you feel like would be a comfortable food plan. And I set up the most rigid, impossible thing to follow. But the, the problem was, when I was new in program, I was living on like this honeymoon period of like, I've got program, and... I've got program, you know, I just felt so empowered because I program and, um, and I can share about things and I have a, a vehicle for my feelings now and I can write about stuff and I had this energy that really was because it was new and um, I set up this perfect food plan and it really was, I wasn't really allowed to eat anything but sprouts, <laughs> just about, you know, <laughs> I mean, a little more than that, I didn't, I wasn't into sprouts yet I think at the time, but, um, but like it needed to be perfect and I remember one day, I called my sponsor and checked in with her, and she said, how's your food? And I said, I have to start over. I ate a piece of candy. And, and she said to me, how did you used to eat? And, and I said, oh, I ate like bags of M&Ms or whatever it was. And she said, and you ate one piece of candy, and you walked away from the bowl, and you think you need to start over. You might want to think about how rigid you have this set up. Um, and I'm not saying if, if your abstinence is rigid and that's working, don't do that. Like All I'm saying is for me... I set it up so that it was a setup to fail. And um, once the honeymoon white or pink cloud time wore off, then I was able to white knuckle it for a while and not eat because I was white knuckling. And then when that honeymoon period wore off or the ability to hold on and I started to slip, um, my eating was worse. And um, they say that this disease is progressive. 
and I absolutely, that was my experience. I think, by the way, recovery is progressive as well. So if I went out in the world today and, and did some, you know, whatever eating, whatever that would be, I don't even know today, but um, I think my recovery would also, you know, it is just as strong as my recovery is. Um, but I, um, what am I saying about that? So anyway, so then I had to start to define an abstinence that was um, something that I could live with. And there were many years, it's a whole, there's a whole long story, but um, there were many years of slipping around with food. Um, and what finally started this abstinence, which is going to be, I think it's going to be either 16 or 17 years in December. I'm not good with numbers. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me. But, um, and I've been in program for 19 years, like I said. Um, what started it was I... Um, I was living with a roommate. I was I had a pretty solid abstinence, and I moved in with a roommate who was a practicing bulimic. And um, I've never vomited. It's not been not that I haven't tried. I thought it sounded like a brilliant idea, but um, and then I hear women in this room, or and men too, trying to give it up, and I realize it really probably wasn't. But um, I uh, I was living with this practicing bulimic, and she was. Um, I had never seen someone binge that way. Now, I was raised by compulsive overeaters. My mother was always on Weight Watchers to try and counteract her compulsive overeating behaviors. And she had, you know, lots of stuff that she did with food up and down and in and out and everything. But um, I, um, I had never experienced someone eating the way that this woman ate. And I, I think I moved in with her to try and save her. I had, like seven months of abstinence at the time and I just thought and she was cool and I probably was attracted to her even though she was straighter than you know whatever but um, I'll, I'll not only change her you know whatever I'll, I'll help her get abstinent too and um, what happened was in living with her I wound up binging with her and I'm not putting that on her that was completely my deal and um, I do think that that relapse was God given but at the end of that relapse I think I experienced in program the most painful time that I ever experienced because I was not yet abstinent again and wanted to be and remembered the feeling of feeling clean and waking up in the morning without a food hanger over but I hadn't been able to achieve that yet for whatever reason and I think it was a God thing I had to struggle a little bit more Um, and I had like days and days and days where I would wake up and say today's going to be day one and then by 10 o'clock in the morning I was eating whatever I'll just have one you know, and then um, one day I thought, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't want to do this anymore, and I don't know what to do. And I decided that I was going to set up my abstinence so that I couldn't fail. Um, and what, it, what I said initially was, as long as I keep on coming back, I'm abstinent. That's pretty hard. I mean, and I never had a desire to leave program. In 19 years, I've never left meetings. I don't know, there's probably been a week or two from traveling that I haven't been to meetings, but um, even when I'm traveling, I love to go to meetings. I just, I was in Tahoe a few months ago with a program friend, and we looked for meetings. We, we didn't find one, although we stumbled upon a CA convention, and, and we said, is this the Al-Anon meeting? And the guy was like, it's the same steps, get on in here, and we ran the <laughs> other way, but um, although I'm sure they were lovely people. They had a lot of energy. Um, <laughs> I, uh, so, and we did find an Al-Anon meeting, but it was two hours earlier. So, um, 
anyway, so I haven't ever skipped meetings unless there weren't any where I was. But um, so I knew that the desire, I knew that I still had the desire to go to meetings. So I set up my deal. As long as I keep on coming back, I'm abstinent. Um, and what I find as the most profound thing about that as I look back on it is that that was the step one like I had never done before. Because it really was saying, I am powerless over food. Um, this isn't working. My life is unmanageable. God, you take this. It was like a one, two, and three. And, um, and the interesting thing is I didn't set up any food parameters. I didn't say what I will and won't eat. And my food cleaned up. Um, and I'm not saying that will work for everybody. This is just my experience. But um, since then, there are things that I've had to add in, like the bins at the supermarket, especially the ones at Whole Foods. I, I am not allowed. Like, if I went to those things, I think then I'd have to start over. Like, that's what's come into play. Because I would put one in the bag and one in my mouth, and then one in the bag and one in my mouth. And I thought, if, if the guy, if the Whole Foods God ever walks by and says, what are you doing? Well, the last time I bought these, they were stale, so I have to taste them to make sure that they're not stale because I'm buying them for a friend. You know, I had, like, this whole thing of, like, like as if that would ever happen, you know. But I was ready, and, um, you know, uh, and uh, so I can't eat from the bins. And then there are other things that don't work for me well um, and things that I'm allergic to. And I got allergy tested, and I found out that I'm allergic to things that are things that I can't have just one of without wanting to eat a lot of them. And there really was a physical allergy, like it talks about in the big book. Um, and I, every once in a while, I'll eat those things, and um, and then I realize why I don't, because I wake up the next morning like I've been hit by a train, and that's just not fun like it used to be. So um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that anymore, um, most of the time. And then I, I suppose... Um, I heard someone once call it research and powerlessness. Every once in a while, I have to taste it again just to wake up like I've been hit by a train and remember how grateful I am for my life when I don't feel that way. And then, um, anyway, so my food plan, and and that was, you know, December 5th. Um, I think I'm coming up on 16 years of that, or maybe it's 17, like I said. Um, And that was the beginning of it, was just saying, no matter what, as long as I come back, um, if I leave and I come back, then I start over, and that was the deal. Um, I uh, let's see what else. Oh, you know what? I want to read you something. I, I wrote this um, in 1999 when I took my birthday candle. I I was going through a lot, and I took my birthday candle that year. And um, bless you. And I decided that I was going to write a list of some of the things that I had learned here. And that was like when when all those calendars were big, like everything I learned, I learned from my cat. You know, or whatever. And so I thought, everything that I've learned really about how to live, I've learned in program. And um, so I made this list. So I'll I'll read this, and then I'll stop, and and you guys can ask questions. Um, So in OA, I've learned how to eat and how to stop eating, how to sit with icky feelings, how to make friends, how to maintain relationships, how to like myself, how to make outreach calls, how to pick up the phone when it rings, how to listen without fixing, which was really big. Because if you had a problem and you shared it with me, Somewhere in me, I learned that it was my responsibility to make you better. And that took a lot of energy for both of us. Because you didn't want to hear what I thought, which really appalled me. And I couldn't fix you anyway, so it's just we were chasing each other's tails. But um, how to do graduate school, how to say no, how to say yes, how to express my needs and not hold other people responsible for meeting them. That was big. How to have fun. How to laugh so hard my stomach hurts and cry so hard I wonder if I'll ever stop. 
how to connect with the God of my understanding who I do not completely understand, how to accept compliments, how to take direction, how to ask for help, how to carry a balance bar with me so I don't get stuck with unworkable options. In LA, I've learned that it doesn't matter where I am on the sick, healthy continuum. It only matters in what direction I'm headed, that nobody cares how fast or slow I recover, that my parents were responsible for my childhood and I'm responsible for my recovery, that I can't recover alone, that I'd rather struggle alone and come and show you my progress, but I can't recover unless I allow people to witness my struggles, that I'm not better than or less than anyone else. I'm just one of my sisters and brothers, that sometimes my most appropriate action is to take no action, that God's plans for me are far better than I could have imagined, that sugar makes me crazy, that sometimes when I do things I don't want to do, I feel better, that I can't get my needs met by restricting and controlling food or love, that control is just an illusion, that half measures are better than no measures, that high-class problems hurt as much as survival problems, they just look better, (laughs) (laughs) that I'm not broken and need a fixing, and neither are you. That food wasn't the problem, it was a solution that became too painful to be effective. That I find God in hiking at the beach with the dolphins on the big blue bus. Um, That God is everywhere, not just up there in the sky. That screaming at God is a prayer. That it's okay if I fall asleep during meditation. That the world is not always safe, but I can find safe people in it. That you can peel the layers of the onion, but you're never going to get celery. (laughs) (laughs) And... um, that one always gets a laugh, so now I know I'm learning to be a performer and wait for the laugh. Um, and the last one is one that I stole. You guys have probably heard of it, that even sunshine burns if you get too much. And um, those are things that I've learned here. Just in closing, I, I just want to say what works for me is I work the tools, I work the steps, I make a ton of outreach calls. I have a sponsor. I am a sponsor. Um, when I'm mad, I uh, write about it and tell my sponsor and figure out what I need to communicate and what's my business with me and God and her. Um, I uh, have learned uh, to be a friend and have a friend and be a girlfriend and have a girlfriend and um, show up even when it's hard and trust that this too shall pass and um, and uh, and I guess the last thing that I want to say is that I've learned the difference between acceptance like we talk about in this program acceptance and approval I don't have to like what you're doing but um, I probably either need to accept it or not have serenity because people are who they are doesn't mean I have to be around it if it's certain things like with my family but um, I don't know this program is one that will kick your ass and save it at the same time at least in my experience so um, it's really an honor thank you Harriet and uh, Yeah. Okay, so the floor is open for questions until what time? Um, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even sunshine burns if you get too much. Yeah. Questions? Yeah. How do you meditate? What do you do? Oh. Meditation. Um... I used to call it napitation, but I did. I took a nap. Um, what I do now is something that I've learned actually from a physical therapist, which is um, 
I sit, I don't lay down because then it becomes an amputation, but um, I sit and I go inside my body and I look for the points that are the most loose and the most tense and I titrate between those points and then I notice what changes. I don't try and loosen, I don't try and tighten, I just notice what changes um, and then I go from there and then what do I notice? And then I notice that the bird is singing outside the window. And then what do you notice? The cat is growling at the bird. Okay, then what do you notice? And I just do that. And I don't set a timer. And I probably, I don't know, maybe do it once a week if I'm lucky. Um, I tend to do it when I get really overwhelmed and unserene. So, yeah. Okay, the, okay with my, my partners? Okay. Um, the question is, how have my relationships with my partners changed? Well, I used to date men, and now I don't. So <laughs> that's great. <big. laughs> More questions? <laughs> yeah. I found out some things about myself. Um, how have they changed? They're, um, I match. In, in my relationship that I'm in today, I match. Um, when I say what I'm feeling, it, it's what I'm really feeling and not what I think they want me to say. Um, and, I, and I did. Before I met my current girlfriend, I did a lot of dating, a, a lot of, like, I knew what I was looking for. And um, what I got really good at was being authentic and true to myself. And also I've learned recently that um, for me in relationships, because I can be selfish and, you know, think about what I need and what I'm not going to get, that I always try and think about what's in the, the highest good of the collective as opposed to me or as opposed to them, but how do I really take an action that's in the best interest of everybody? Um, and I probably could talk forever about that, but um, that's probably, if I could distill it, that's what it is. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, my name's Phil. Hi, Phil. Uh, anyhow, um, how are you, you mentioned uh, being a diabetic or whatever. How do you measure, I'm having issues with blood sugar and things like that is, is intense. And I just want to know how your blood sugars are doing while you're in a program and how that's worked. If you can talk about that at all. Sure. I mean, it's, um, I mean, what, what I know, it's like people talk about, um, well, I don't know, how do I want to answer this? The truth is when my food is clean, my blood sugars are stable. Um, when I'm unconscious about what I'm eating, they're not. And, and it's really, it really is that simple. No, actually, it's not that simple. There are things like hormones and um, metabolism, and um, there are things that affect my blood sugars. But for the most part, when my food's clean and I'm conscious of what I'm eating, my blood sugars are pretty stable. But I've also been at the same weight for a long time, so that helps with that, uh, you know, within a small range. So I don't know if that, but you can call me, and I, I'd be happy to share more with you. Yeah. Last question. Yeah. What do you do for fun that's non-caloric? <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, that's non-caloric. What do I? The question is, what do I do for fun that's non-caloric? Oh my God, so much. Um, beach, hiking. Um, we're going to Topanga tomorrow, which is beautiful. Um, I love to see movies. I love to have. Um, I mean, I love spending the day with my girlfriend, and I also love having an afternoon where I have no agenda, and either I'm on foot walking everywhere or in the car with like. Gosh, I, there's a bunch of things that I need to do. I'll just let God guide me and see where I need to go with a stop at coffee being in between. Um, yeah, so many things. I mean, and, and I love to swim. I, um, 
I've learned what I love in the world, and those things are not in caloric. And meditative, too, actually, to answer the meditation question. So, okay. Thank you. Thank you.